Well, as summer comes to a close, it is our last psalm song. I know, everyone can go, aw, because it's just so sad. But we have a great one for you this morning, so take a moment, sit back, relax, and enjoy this song. of psalm songs because somewhere uh, in Maine where Joe and Janice are right now, or maybe they're on the road, I don't know, but somewhere I know Pastor Joe is watching and I just have a theory that he's going to have a wild hair and say, actually, we're going to do one more. But for now, 
This is the end of the Psalm Song series. I'm really excited to be able to share it with you. Um, I know a few of you are here this morning for the very first time, and you might be like, what's that all about? Why are we singing Blink-182 in church? What is that doing in that context? Uh, and I'm just here to tell you briefly, Psalm Songs is the idea where we take a song you might hear on the radio or something from your childhood or a different part of your life, and we tie that, we connect that to one of the Psalms, and uh, we, we find Jesus in that, so that next time you hear that song, in whatever context, you're reminded of the gospel truths that you heard. And so I'm excited to be able to share that with you. Uh, I had a different psalm and a different song in mind, but that song particularly has um, experienced a slight resurgence in popularity. If you are of a certain age and you find yourself scrolling TikTok or Instagram at night, um, not that I know what that's like, uh, and you might find yourself encountering a, a video that has a sound that in, in, involves part of that song um, where... Uh, you, you suddenly hear Tom DeLong say, where are you? And he's very, you know, Tom DeLonge, so he sounds like that. And then somebody found some bit of, of SpongeBob SquarePants, and I don't watch SpongeBob, no, no shade if you do, but um, I don't know the context. And somebody just goes, I'm over here. And, you know, they make videos out of that. I don't get culture these days, man, but thank God for the internet. Um, anyway, I, I was scrolling one day, and I saw one of those, and I was like, man, I Miss You would work so well with this psalm that I want to share with you this morning. So no matter how you feel about Blink-182, just bear with me for the rest of this, because I want to help you see how these things connect and what it has to say to us. So that being said, let's go to Psalm 22. If you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to get there. If you have your Bible app, I want to encourage you to get there. But while we're going there, let me talk about Psalm 22 for just a second, because Psalm 22 is uniquely famous or uniquely popular. It might be up there in terms of popularity and, and how well-known it is with, you know, your Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, that kind of thing. You might be up there with uh, Psalm 119, your word is a lamp unto my feet, light unto my path, or Psalm 139, I'm fearfully, wonderfully made, where can I go to hide from your spirit, all those kind of things. But in the theological and scholarly community, or at least in the Christian community, Psalm 22 is seen as being uniquely prophetic, but specifically it's messianic. Because what, what, what the, the understanding is that the things you read in Psalm chapter 22 are things that Jesus then experiences. And, and you can point to a point in Jesus' life where he fulfilled that particular uh, part of the psalm. Now, I'm not of the mind that David was sitting around saying, you know what, let me write a psalm specifically about the Messiah who will one day come and do all of these things. I believe that David felt every word of this psalm that he wrote. And it just so happens that Jesus Christ ex experienced the exact same things over the course of his life, specifically when he was on trial and going through the uh, crucifixion and eventually the resurrection. In fact, it culminates in Matthew 27, 46, if you want to look it up yourself, in Jesus saying, as, as darkness is enveloping the land and Jesus is in the process of, of dying on the cross, Jesus actually quotes the opening line of this psalm. He says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that's where we're going to go today. Psalm 22. We're just going to read the first 11 verses. It is a 31-verse psalm, but we're just going to spend time with about the first third of it or so. Uh, and so this is what it says, Psalm 22, 1 through 11. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning, Oh my God, I cry, day, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet, you are holy, 
enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried and were rescued. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Now, if you've, if you've heard the gospel story before, do you see all the Jesus in this? It's absolutely incredible. Okay, he goes on. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. <clears throat> All right, the Psalms are, are, are such a uniquely valuable portion of biblical literature for us because it's, it's rare that anywhere else in Scripture we're going to find such raw and unfiltered emotion and experience. Throughout Scripture, we get history, we get facts, we get wisdom, we get prophecy, we get story, we get advice, we get all these kind of things. But in the Psalms, there's a place where we can identify in our own experiences, okay? When we come together on a day like this, I know for a fact that, that, that the experiences you've had in the last week all vastly differ from each other. Okay, some of you are coming in riding on top of cloud nine. You are, you are celebrating a new job or new children or a new home or new cars, answered prayers, all those sorts of things. But some of you, on the other hand, are lamenting the loss of a job. You're lamenting and processing a, a, a loved one who's, who's sick or suffering and what you need to do as a part of that. Some of you have a struggling marriage. Some of you have bills that need to be paid. And some of you just have a relationship with God that feels dry and it feels empty. But this is what I love about Psalms. And this is why we spend two months out of our year with the Psalms, because there is a place for all of us at any time in the Psalms. So it's important that we go there. In the Psalms, we understand that all of our emotions are okay, not that they must be acted upon, but that they may be um, felt and understood and crucially brought to God in prayer and in worship. And so in, in Psalm 22, we see a few clear themes kind of shine through. There's, there's themes of abandonment and despair and despondency, but eventually praise and remembrance and, and those sorts of things. So we see kind of a path to David's prayer, and I'm going to take you on that path this morning as we go through Psalm 22. So the first thing that we see in Psalm 22 is it is clearly not working. This whole God thing, this whole relationship to God thing, this prayer thing, it feels like it's not working. He starts out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or as Tom DeLong would say, and I'm going to say it, I'm not going to sing it, but he says, where are you right now? I don't know where you are. So David, despite being a man after God's own heart, was still human and still experienced hardship. And let me just tell you right now, some of the hardship that David experienced was of his own making. He got himself into some serious messes from time to time. And I just want to encourage you this morning, if you feel like whatever it is that you're going through and you feel like you have a hand in that, you feel kind of responsible, that doesn't mean that God is ignoring you. That doesn't mean that God is not going to respond and leave you to clean up your mess all by yourself, okay? It does mean that there are probably going to be some consequences to our actions, and we have to go through that, but we get to go through it with the presence of God and the help of the Holy Spirit, okay? If the psalm were written today, David might say something like this. He might say, God, you are leaving me on red, okay? You're seeing my texts. I know that because I get the little red receipt, 
Okay? You are, you are receiving my calls. You're getting my voicemails. I'm leaving them, but you're not getting back to me. Right? You know that feeling when you're just trying to get an answer out of somebody? Whether it's, you know, I don't know, recently we've been going through that with a contractor trying to get our house fixed after the hailstorm. But sometimes you get that from a potential employer. You just want to find out where your status is, if you're going to get the job or not, if they're going to interview you or not. Sometimes you want to know this with a coach when you're trying to figure out how can I get back in the team? How can I play again? What do you want me to do? Or if you want to be real about it with a crush or somebody that you're interested in, you just want to know, are we going to see each other again? Are you going to go out with me? What's the deal here? Okay, we feel that. But have you ever felt that with God? And are you honest enough to admit that? See, I wonder if we have this idea in our heads that we can't quite be that honest with God. We're not allowed to say something like this to God. We're not allowed to even imply that God is ignoring us because, of course, God is not ignoring us. Clearly, I'm just the problem, that sort of thing. He must have his reasons. Who am I to question that? Okay? Now, I sympathize with that line of thought because I appreciate any line of thought that views God as holy and reveres him in that kind of way. But for some reason, God saw fit that you and I, in our canon of Scripture, in the Bibles that we read, we have Psalm 22, where David comes right out and says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If that's not enough for you, let's take it a step further. Because Jesus himself said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If Jesus was allowed to say it, guess what? You're allowed to say it too. Okay? I wonder how many of us have some sort of pent-up frustration in our relationship with God because we don't feel like we're allowed to say anything to him. But here's what I want to tell you this morning. In Christ, you have the permission to come boldly before the throne of grace. Hebrews 4.16 says it like this. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, I need you to understand that the word used for confidence, uh, which some translations say boldly, it means the following. It means freedom in speaking or unreservedness in speech, or it means free and fearless confidence, a cheerful courage, boldness, and assurance. Assurance that when I go into the throne room, when I approach God my Father, He's not going to kick me out for having a request for some mercy and some grace because I have a time of need. He's not going to kick me out for that. Do you feel like you can speak freely with God? Do you feel like what we just saw on screen, does that describe your prayer life? You're, you're free to speak, you're unreserved in what you say, or do you have a language where you're like, oh God, my Father, I come before you humbly. Like, or are you just able to be yourself and not speak a certain language just to get through to God? Okay? Does unreserved describe your style of prayer? Do you feel bold enough, like David, to say, God, this isn't working? God, I am lonely. Why aren't you answering me? God, I have got bills that need to be paid. I've got a deadline. Why are you not providing for the things that I need? God, my marriage is broken. Why aren't you doing anything about it? God, I want more of you, but I feel like you're hiding from me. God, this sickness, this cancer, this diagnosis is not going away. Why can't you heal me? God, things have just not gotten better. Where are you? I want to encourage you this morning that you are allowed to pray boldly. Okay? But here's the only qualifier I'm going to give to that. Okay? Take this for what it's worth. If we pray bold prayers, we need to anticipate and be ready for a bold and honest response from God. At times, 
not always, but at times, God will show us something in us that is getting in the way. Do you know this morning that the idea of your prayers being hindered is a thing in Scripture? You can find it in different places. First Peter talks about it. Uh, in the book of Micah, it's talked about. First Samuel, it's talked about. Probably a lot more examples out there. But things that we're doing, uh, uh, patterns of behavior that we have, can hinder the Lord from hearing us, answering us, and responding to us. Sometimes that is a habit that needs to be broken. Sometimes it's a line of thinking that needs to be addressed. Sometimes it's a pattern of disobedience and rebellion that we've just accepted. And we say, well, you know, God has grace for me. God has mercy for me. So it's fine. It's just who I am. It's part of my brokenness. But God doesn't actually accept that. Or maybe it's somebody that you need to forgive. It's something that's lodged in your heart that God wants to deal with in you so that you can then move forward. We have to be ready for that. If we want more of God, if we want his presence and his power and his indwelling spirit to be active in us, then we have to be ready, as scripture says, to lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles. I don't want you to miss, though, that part of the reason that David prayed so boldly and why you and I are allowed to pray this boldly is because, number two, if you're making notes, this has worked before. Okay? David is quick. Right after he complains in the first two verses, he's quick to point out in verses 3 and 4, this worked out for his ancestors and for the nation of Israel on the whole. Now, let me pause just to say, because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a words person, and when I say the word worked, I know that that's not a perfect word, okay? When we talk about this working out for me, this God thing working for us, I know that's not the perfect word because we don't get God to work for us in that sense, okay? We don't just press the right buttons, fill in the right formula, and God will do X, Y, and Z when we do A, B, and C. When I say worked, I, I suppose what I mean, the closest way I can define it is the idea that, that the outcome has been beneficial for everyone. And if you look at verses three and four, you see that, you know, the Israelites trusted and they prayed and you delivered them and you saved them and kept them safe and, and then they worshiped in response to that. So everybody kind of wins in the end because I get what I want, God gets his praise, it's all good, okay? Now, I tend to think, personally, that people don't come to faith in God, but specifically in our context, not God as a broad concept, but faith in Jesus Christ as the embodiment of God. Okay, I don't think you get there just by some intellectual realization where it's like, well, yes, I have now officially weighed all the evidence and I have decided that this is true. Now, sometimes that happens, but I think most of the time there's something that captures our attention and our imagination. Look at what Jesus says in Mark 16, verses 17 through 18. He says, these signs will accompany those who believe. A sign will accompany someone who believes. Okay? In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. We're not that kind of church, just in case you're wondering. Okay? We're not going to be handling any snakes today. Okay? And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. There's a reason why Jesus didn't just go around teaching and preaching, but he performed miracles, and he healed people, and he cast out demons because these things get our attention. A lot of times, someone's testimony to the point where they came to faith in Christ will involve something that is miraculous, supernatural, unexplainable by any natural human means, okay? However big or however small it might be, okay? It could be finding a way out of a bad relationship. 
could be the restoration of a marriage. It could be freedom from some sort of addiction. It could be God taking uh, depression or something like that away, even for a time. It could be God providing in a very specific kind of way. Now, just for the purposes of this morning, as I was uh, thinking through this, I can think of at least four pretty quickly off the top of my head, okay? And I want to share them with you because um, these are the things that convince me, okay? These are the things that convince me. I think about the time, I think I was 15 or 16 years old, I was attending church camp for the very first time, and I remember a young man, his name was Colby, never heard from him since, but I remember his name because this just stands out to me in my mind. Colby came in with a sling on his right arm. Something was wrong with the shoulder, I don't remember the specifics of it, but I know that at that camp, people laid their hands on him and prayed for him, and he took the sling off and he was fine for the rest of the week. Now, say what you want about miracles and healing, and I'll be the first to say that some people get really weird about that kind of stuff, and I'm not into that, but that stands out to me. I remember a time where I got to the end of a summer job. At that point in my life, I was, I was living paycheck to paycheck. Now, I was also living with my parents, so, you know, take that for what it's worth, okay? But the only expense I had was a car payment, and my very last paycheck from that job, because it only lasted for the summer, my very last paycheck was the exact amount to the penny of my car payment. And thanks be to God, one of you shared a similar story this week on Facebook of you had this thing that, that needed to be paid for. God came through with a check. You don't even know where, you don't even know why. Some, something that happened three years ago, somebody messed up their accounting and they sent you a check. And it's like, thanks be to God, I needed exactly that amount. And he came through with exactly that amount. Okay. I think about the time, <clears throat> not the same year, but I needed a job. Okay, because I had recently left my job. I needed one. I woke up that morning. I went on a walk. I asked God that he would send a phone call about a job that day. Not necessarily a job offer. That's not what I'm asking for. Just I need to hear something because it felt like nothing was happening and nothing was happening. And that day, I got a phone call with a job offer, and that's how I'm at the vineyard. Thanks be to God. Okay? And then I think about another time more recently where I met someone and for no particular reason that I can remember, I prayed that God would bring them through the doors of this church. <clears throat> and sure enough, he did in his faithfulness. And recently, we were able to celebrate them being baptized in this church. Okay, These are the kind of things you cannot convince me it's not God. Okay, There are too many coincidences for it not to be God. Okay, What are those God moments for you? What are the prayers that you have prayed and the way that they came to pass, the timing in which they came to pass, the manner in which they came to pass, you knew that it had to be God. Okay? In my opinion, in my understanding, this is a part of the power of prayer. Because prayer, when you pray, you start to look. Okay? When you pray, you start to look. Now, your prayer is not an order, okay? because God doesn't take orders from us. But if I can use that as a bit of an analogy, okay, when you order something online, you don't just like not look for it, okay? You're anticipating that thing to come to your house. In my particular case, they sent it out last Wednesday. I need it tomorrow morning because we're going to leave and I need it for being at conference. And so I'm really hoping that it comes. I am looking for that thing to come. When you pray, you are setting yourself up to look for God to do something and you're keeping your, your, your awareness up. You are asking for these things, okay? As Christian people, we are free to petition God. We are even free to complain to him. But we also would do well if we would remember. 
Okay, remember, when you first came to faith in Christ, and your relationship with God was so exciting, you just would not shut up about it. You remember what he did for us, how he healed us, how he changed us, how he delivered us, protected us, sustained us, came through for us in a time where we needed it. When we remember, when we take a moment just to pause and remember God's faithfulness to us over time, all the chaos, all the insecurity, all the, all the my God, my God, where are you? That stuff kind of starts to settle down just a little bit. And it becomes more of what Paul would call a light momentary affliction. And then out of that, we find ourselves able to say, I can't bring myself to quit. I just can't bring myself to quit. Personally, when I think about my own relationship to God, I think about the chorus of that song that the worship team sang. And they say, don't waste your time on me. You are already the voice inside of my head. In other words, you already have my attention. You don't have to try to get my attention anymore. Okay? Now, he's not wasting his time on me. Please don't hear me say that God is wasting his time in speaking to me and acting on my behalf, acting on your behalf, anything like that. But, and I can't speak for you, but I can speak for myself, okay? I can relate to you what David's prayer seems to imply. I cannot bring myself to give up on my relationship with God, even though I have been hurt and I have been stupid and I have been rebellious and I have been disappointed. I have been afraid. I have been mistreated. I have doubted. I have been insecure. But God has been my God for so long that I don't even know how to leave. I don't want to leave, but even if I did, I wouldn't know how to. Okay, and I don't mean that in, in terms of my relationship to the Lord. I don't mean that in a way that's like, I want to. It, it, for me, it's deeply comforting. I think about in John chapter 6 when Jesus is teaching, and it's an offensive teaching. It puts people off, and people are leaving Jesus in droves. And Jesus turns to his own disciples, and he says, do you all want to go away as well? And then Simon Peter says to Jesus what has kind of turned out to be my life verse. Okay? He says, Jesus where else would we go? You are the one who has the words of eternal life. So even though I'm not good at it, even though I disobey, even though I don't get it all the time, even though God has invited me and given me loads of opportunities to step out in faith and I keep saying no and keep saying no, even though I can't leave, I don't know where else to go. I identify with David's words in Psalm 22, 9 and 10. We're going to put it back up on the screen for you. He says, yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth, I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. You have been my God longer than I can even remember. And David reminds himself of this in the middle of his lament. Maybe this is an appeal, as an appeal to God. Maybe this is a reminder to himself. I'm not necessarily sure. But maybe it might, be, it might just be a little bit of both, okay? You've been my God longer than I can remember. You are the voice inside of my head. I cannot go away. Even though I'm hurting right now, even though I don't know where God is right now, I can't bring myself to go away. Now, as you look at this psalm on the whole, it's a roller coaster, okay? And it keeps on going the more you read. In verses 1 and 2, David asks God why he's forsaken him. But then in 3 and 4, he remembers God's faithfulness and deliverance to the Israelites in years gone by. Then in verses 6 through 8, he talks about being uh, mocked and scorned. And then in verses 9 through 11, he talks about how God has been his God since he was born. On and on and on and on it goes for a total of 31 verses. But it culminates, if you want to skip ahead a little bit to verse 22, David says this, I will declare your name to my people. 
in the assembly, when we gather together, I will praise you. And then a little bit further in verse 25, he writes, From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to go away. It all comes back to praise. It all comes back to worship. David's relationship with God was one that he could not bring himself to quit. Okay, so, so far, we've made observations about Psalm 22. Okay? The pattern kind of goes, it's not working right now. Um, it's worked in the past, and I can't bring myself to quit. That's great for David, okay? but what about for you and me? What do we need to take, now that we have sat with Psalm 22 for 24 minutes on a Sunday morning, what do we need to take away, and what do we need to do as a result of this? Three things really quickly. First, and we're going to put the points up, but we're also going to put a reference in case you want to look it up for yourself and remember this. Okay? First of all, we want to pray boldly and we want to pray persistently. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus talks about, he's telling a story, and he talks about a neighbor who needs some bread. And he's knocking on the door, and he's like, I don't have anything for you, I don't have anything for you, I need you to go away. And eventually, if you fast forward, the request finally gets fulfilled, not out of the benevolence of his heart, but because of the fact that the neighbor just wouldn't leave this person alone about this thing that they needed. Okay? Jesus uses the word impudence, which somehow just sounds worse than the word persistence, but they kind of mean the same thing. Okay? It says, because of impudence, they gave them the bread. So I want to encourage you, pray. Pray boldly. Say, God, why are you forsaking me? If that's what you have to say. If that's the way that you are feeling, you are allowed to say that. Pray day and night. Don't leave God alone about the things that you're asking him for. Because I promise you that God cares about you. The things that you are bringing to him, I promise that he cares. He cares, and this is how I know, because he sent Jesus Christ from heaven, from constant praise of angels, to walk on this ball of dirt that we call home for now, okay? For now. And Jesus lived a perfect life, never sinned, never put a foot wrong, and yet he was punished and crucified as though he was the worst of sinners. And he did that on your behalf and on my behalf. That's how I know that God cares for you. Number two, I want to encourage you to remember God's faithfulness. Take time to reflect on your own life. Think about, think about his hand all through your life. Think of your family, your children, your upbringing, your community, the joys you've experienced, the provision that God has made for you, those times that he came through when nothing else seemed possible, but God did something that only God seems to be able to do. Think situations you haven't found yourself in, situations you've gotten yourself out of or doors that God has opened for you. Think about these things. But I, I, want, you to, I want you to know that this is not necessarily going to, to stir up some feelings of great happiness and, and whatnot, but it will inspire that persistence and that perseverance in you. And then you can get to number three. Keep on praising and keep on testifying. Even when you don't feel like it, even when you know that you're not good at it, even when you don't feel sure, keep going after God. Keep coming to church, not for the sake of coming to church and blowing up numbers, I'm not into that, okay? But come to church because you need to be with the gathered body of believers. Keep praying, keep worshiping, keep studying your Bible, keep sharing your testimony, keep inviting people to, to your church, to your small group, whatever it looks like, keep planting seeds of the kingdom of God. That's what I want to encourage you to do this morning. All right, here's what we're going to do. If you're new here, this is the part where we all stand up.
because I want to provide an opportunity for you. We want to provide an opportunity for you as a church to be ministered to, to hear from God yourself personally. And as I was preparing, I feel like God um, is, is calling a couple of specific groups of people this morning. And so I'm going to start to describe a group. And if that's you, I want to encourage you to come forward. Okay. And somebody's got to break the ice and it's going to be okay. But I want to encourage you to come forward. If any of this applies to you, first, you feel like God has been ignoring you. You feel like you have been praying. You feel like you have been giving yourself to your relationship to God. You have been asking him for something time and time and time again, whether it's a job, whether it's um, uh, something related to your health or, or a loved one's health, anything like that. And you just feel like no matter how much you pray, no matter how much time you spend thinking about it, worrying about it, praying about it, you feel like God is leaving you on red. You feel like he is not saying anything at all. And you feel like maybe, just maybe, he's abandoned you. If that's you, would you come forward? Because we want to pray for you this morning. If you feel abandoned, if you feel ghosted, if you will, by God. Okay, let's move on. You feel <clears throat> dry and tired in your relationship with God. Maybe you kind of find yourself like, yeah, I don't really know what else to do. I don't know where to go. I don't want to quit, but I've been doing the stuff. I've been trying, and I just feel like it's not working. I know it's worked before, but it's not working right now. I'm not excited about this. I'm not seeing God do anything in my life. I'm not feeling good about it. I feel like I'm giving everything to God, and I feel like God's given nothing in return to me. If you feel that way, would you come up and would you let us pray for you? Would you let us pray that God would touch your life in a specific way and give you a renewed passion in your relationship with him? We can pray for, we want to pray for you that God would do something so specific in your life that you can't deny that it's him. If that's you, or if you're in group number one, I want to encourage you to come forward at any time. Finally, maybe you feel unsure of your relationship with God. Maybe you're not really sure where you stand. Maybe you have kind of found yourself in a situation in life that you never thought you'd be in, and you, you, you feel like God is just disappointed with you, and you think maybe he's mad at you. Maybe he's just leaving you on your own to, you know, kind of pull yourself up for, by your bootstraps and get your act together, and then you can come. If you feel that way, I want to pray for you. And I want someone in this church to be able to pray for you as well. If that's you. You just feel like you have messed up more than God could possibly have grace or possibly have forgiveness for. You don't know the mess I've made in my life. You don't know the choices I've made. You don't know the places I've been. You don't know the things that I have done. Listen, God does. And you did not surprise him. And he's got grace for you. Scripture tells us that from Jesus' fullness, we have received grace upon grace upon grace. In other words, we receive grace, we used it up, maybe we abused it, but there's more grace in place of that last grace. Or maybe there's anything else. I don't know what it would be. I don't know what God is saying to you right now. I don't know if God wants to encourage you in something, if God wants to challenge you in something, if God wants to say something specifically to you. But in general, if you just need more of Jesus, I want to encourage you to come forward because we have a prayer team that is ready and willing 
and excited about praying for you this morning. So I want to encourage you over the course of this song, don't be afraid to come up. You don't need to rush it. We're not trying to clear this area as quickly as possible or anything like that. I want to encourage you to get what you need from God this morning, to receive a word from him, to receive encouragement from him, to receive power from him, to receive healing from him. Whatever that is, I want to encourage you to come forward at any time through this last song, but I want to pray for you and then I'll get off this stage. Father, as we come before you, I want to thank you for the Psalms. God, I want to thank you for the fact that Jesus Christ himself, as he walked on this planet, was bold enough to say that first line of this psalm, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God, I thank you that because of Jesus Christ, we can come boldly before your throne and we can find mercy and we can find grace and help in the time that we need it. God, this morning, some of us feel dry. God, some of us just feel like yeah, we don't know where else to go. We don't know what else to do, but I don't, I don't, I'm not feeling anything in all of this. And we just need a touch from you. God, we need you to come through and, and say something to us, stir something up in us, make us aware of your Holy Spirit in a way that we haven't had maybe for a long time, maybe ever. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. We invite you to manifest yourself in this place, whatever way you see fit. We invite you. We want to get out of the way of what you're doing. So God, would you come? God, we come before you because we need you, because we love you, because we're hungry for you, because we know that you are the source of all things, that you are the one we were made to know, you are the one that we were made to love, and you are the one who has the authority to tell us how to live, how to order our own lives. Father, we come before you needing a touch from you. So we invite you. Holy Spirit, won't you come? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.